Hello, 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 and welcome back to the Premier Chels, your source for all things Premier League, but starting with Chelsea first. Coming into you on your speakers and headsets, good morning, good afternoon, good evening. I'm Jackie from Houston, and I have my buddy here, Rahul from Connecticut. And Rahul, I know you have some exciting news to get us fired away today. I do. I have my buddy here from, <laughs> from Belgium, um, Eden Hazard, who's been linked with the move back to Chelsea. Incredible news. A familiar name and a familiar face. And I do know that you put up a little poll on Instagram whether some of the fans out there, Chelsea fans mainly, would want him back at Chelsea. What were the results like? Uh, it was overwhelmingly in support of the move, but there were some some views that were different and totally respect those and, and welcome those. And some fair points in that, you know, he's, he's done what he could for the club, uh, moved away, suffered his injuries, and isn't the same player that left, I think, three years ago at this point which is fair, um, but just the opportunity of seeing him in a Chelsea shirt once again and, and playing at the bridge uh, gets me very excited. I was actually going to ask you what your personal thoughts were on it, but it sounds like you would like to see the return of the, the Prince of Stamford Bridge, maybe? Yeah, I think I, Drogba himself called him the Prince, so <laughs> absolutely. I, I would like it. Obviously, there are concerns around fitness and, right. and injuries and, and all the other things that have gone wrong for him at Madrid. Uh, but I think, like I said in one of our stories, if we manage or Madrid manages him a little better in terms of diet, game time, training, there is still a player there because I believe he's still either 30 or very early in his 30s. Right. So he's got a few more years in him. Yeah, and if memory serves, and I'm pretty sure this happened, when the king of Stamford Bridge returned, Didier, we actually ended up winning the Premier League. And, you know, honestly, in that season, what I remember was he didn't play a lot, but I think he's that type of personality. And, and why I talk about Didier is because I think Aiden is that type of personality where he just brings positivity to the team. And we've said this forever. You've got the likes of Kai Havertz, who's 21, Callum Hudson-Odoi, who is, I think he's still 19, Mason Mount, although we'll talk about Ballon d'Or in just a second, but he's 21, 22. I think he's a good good man to learn from in having Aiden Hazard back. So if the numbers are right and maybe a loan or something, I'd love to see him back in Chelsea t-shirt. Yeah, the, the only thing I noticed or, or saw was, and I don't know how true it is, that Real Madrid would be open to letting him go if we sent Reese James the other Oof. way, which, which if that's the case, I love <laughs> Aiden Hazard, but th- that's a no for me. <laughs> I'm going to have to agree with you. So hopefully we can work it out. But if not, then, you know, thanks for the memories. You'll always be very, very special. But uh, can't let Reese James go. I think he's too important to us at this point in time. I agree. All right. That's enough nostalgia for just a minute. <laughs> Maybe we have to bring back Blast from the Past, Rahul, after getting into that nostalgia here. But let's jump into an international break. We talked a little bit about the UEFA Nations League final. In our last episode, uh, maybe you can share some updates on that front. Yeah, so the finals did happen on Sunday afternoon, night, depending on where you were. And it was Spain versus France. Uh, And as you'd expect, a tight affair, a cagey affair, both teams trying to not give up the first goal. France did give that goal up. uh, But similar to the Artuco meme, uh, when they go a goal down, they get serious and and kind of lean forward and, and play a little more aggressively. And they did that and, and wanted to one, the second goal being slightly controversial because it was clearly offside, but the referees and, and VAR saw as Eric Garcia touching the ball right before it falls to Mbappe and, and the goal stands. 
Right. Well, look, it's one of those things where whenever we talk about VAR, it's it splits people down the middle. I think you know my opinion on VAR, especially in the last few weeks with what's happened to Chelsea and the last goal that they had disallowed for us, and specifically around Timo Werner's side of the house. But it's one of those things where I think France as a whole is an incredible, incredible team. We know that from when they won the World Cup a few years ago. But one thing I want to talk about, Rahul, real quickly, is actually credit to Spain. They do have a relatively youthful team. And they're making it to a final. Yes, it is the Nations League. Yes, we've always asked why it's around. But I think these moments will bring them a lot of experience and maybe another golden generation of Spanish talent coming through. Yeah, we touched on in the last episode where uh, they could be one of those teams that using the Euros, using the Nations League, are learning, are, are maturing as a young side uh, and going into the World Cup could be at a point where some of this hurt from the last two tournaments could be the motivation and could be the right type of, um, you know, game management situations right. and things like that that could get them closer or at least uh, within the final stages of, of the World Cup. Yeah, fair point. So we'll definitely be watching those things closely, seeing how it plays out. The World Cup is just around the corner, so... We'll see if Spain can live up to what they're doing right now. And then definitely France is, is one to keep an eye on as well. I don't know if you caught this, Rahul, but our old, old goalkeeper, Thibaut Courtois, had a lot to say <laughs> about the Nations League, specifically around similar things that you and I have talked about, not necessarily to that level of publicity, but why do they play it? What are they trying to do? And he went into the level of, does UEFA and FIFA even care about the players? Because the amount of football they're playing these days is incredible. And of course, there's TV revenue to be made. There's ad revenue to be made. But you think he has a point? I, I think so. I mean, we said this last year when there was a COVID year. Uh, there were no fans in the stadiums. And, and the sole purpose was to get through the club season. And even within that season, there was the regular international breaks. Players were traveling all over the world. Um, and the question was, why? What, what is the need? Euros are already scheduled. We know who's qualified. The World Cup qualifiers are, aren't until the next year, which is the current year. And it was the question was, why? And it was mainly because UEFA needed to, to make their money, and they continue to do so. And I think, like we spoke about, yes, the UEFA Nations League or, or the Nations League in general across the globe is exciting, uh, but it's just more games and more competition for players that already play 50 to 60 competitive games a season for their club. So I, I agree with them. It was it was refreshing to see a player come out and speak like that against an organization that most likely is going to find him uh, <laughs> or give him a warning or make him pay, no pun intended, uh, in one way or another. But I agree with him. Yeah, I mean, definitely some tough words, but... Like you said, it's good to see the truth come out. And, and at the end of the day, what I look at it as is he didn't refuse to play for Belgium. He's still showing up. He's still participating. He's just speaking the truth about the situation that they're going through. I agree. So, it, yeah. So, yeah. I mean, now let's move on to Ballon d'Or. I think that's another big topic that's on everybody's minds. And the short list is massive, 30 players out there. And maybe you can read through some names, maybe focus a little bit on the Chelsea names, Rahul. Yeah, so I mean, it's it's filled with a lot of good players, a lot of players that have had a good season last season, continued over the summer into the Euros or, or Copa America, uh, and then this season. So, I mean, I'll read off the Chelsea names first. It's Mason Mount, who 
impressed under Tuchel, had a good season under Lampard, and I think deservedly makes his way at least in the in the 30-man shortlist. Jorginho, Champions League winner, uh, Euro 2020-21 winner with Italy, <laughs> Super Cup winner with Chelsea, uh, Cesar Espelicueta with Chelsea winning the Champions League, made a good run with Spain in the Euros, N'Golo Conte is on there too, Champions League winner. Uh, Romelu Lukaku, who is now a Chelsea player and so falls under the Chelsea category umbrella of Ballon d'Or uh, nominees, but he did have a great season with Inter and won the Serie A title, so uh, deservedly makes it. And then some of the other names, I'm not going to read all 30, but Karim Benzema is on there. He had a good season with Real Madrid and continues to impress uh, with France. Bonucci, Chiellini from Italy, um, Donnarumma again from Italy. Erling Holland is on this list too, and he's only 20 years old. So uh, quite an achievement for him. Robert Lewandowski, who had a good season. Messi kind of just, if you look Beautiful at the last, yeah, last 10 years of nominees, you just cut and paste his name there. Um, and then the other name here is Mohamed Salah. And, and the last one I'll read off is, is Luis Suarez. Yeah. Uh, and not to forget, Ronaldo is on that list too, who's again a, a, a household name on this list. So some big names. And for me, I'm, I'm just proud to see some Chelsea players on there because every year it's usually someone from Real Madrid or Barcelona yeah. winning it. Yeah, and it's interesting because I'll take Lukaku out of the mix. Just like you said, a lot of his achievements were with Inter, and I think that's where they're going to come and be mostly deserved from should he win this tournament and this trophy. But, you know, you talk about the likes of Kante, who has been incredible, helped us win the Champions League. Aspilicueta in the same boat, great with Spain as well. Jorginho had a massive, massive season, both with Chelsea and on the international front. But for me, Rahul, young man, Mason Mount, you know, when he started with Chelsea being picked up by Frank Lampard, we've said this many times, the jokes about Frank's son doesn't deserve to be in the team. Tuchel comes in and he's dropped for that first game and people go, yep, the truth comes out about Mason Mount. And he's basically a stalwart since Tuchel's 11. And now he's being recognized on a grand stage, which is exciting to see. Now, do I think he's going to win it? Probably not. Not at this time anyway but just wonderful for the young man to be just in that list of names you mentioned, including Ronaldo, Messi, and Suarez, for example. Yeah, that, and that point is very well taken. If you think about Mason Mount two years ago, at the end of the 2018-2019 the season, was on loan at Derby County, had just missed out on promotion to the Premier League uh, under Frank Lampard, Derby County's Frank Lampard. Uh, and then from that point on, he's come in, made his name at Chelsea in terms of uh, letting the, the world outside of London and Chelsea know who he is. Uh, and like you said, as a mainstay in the squad, no matter who the manager is, even Garrett Southgate picks him for England because he sees the value of having uh, someone like Mason. And for him, within two years of missing out of promotion to the Premier League and winning the Champions League and making it on, on the Ballon d'Or list, must be a massive achievement and something that he should be proud of. Now, like you said, he may not win it, uh, but even just to be in the same bracket with some of these great players is is excellent for him at the age of 22. Yeah, well said and only can go up from here. And maybe in the next two, three years, we'll be seeing Mason up there and, and holding that trophy right there. So, but if it's not Mason Mount, Rahul, who is it going to be, in your opinion? Is it a Chelsea boy? Is it a non-Chelsea boy? Is it the usual suspects? Is it somebody new? Thoughts on this one? I I, I look at the list, right? And I, I think of 
all right, it's for the whole year of 2021. And so most of the trophies are won towards the midpoint of this, of the year. And it's the Premier League, it's, it's La Liga, it's the Champions League. Uh, and there's one player that won with this club in Georgia, won the Champions League, went away with Italy and won the Euros in the summer, came back, started the new season, won the Super Cup with Chelsea. All three are UEFA competitions. He excelled in all three competitions. And so far is having a pretty decent season. Now, you may say in the last couple of games, he's he's not had the best time. But I think if you've got to look at it overall, he's got to be up there, at least in the top three. Uh, in terms of who wins it, I personally prefer N'Golo Kante. Right. Just personal bias love the guy not a lot of people would say they don't like him um but i could also see someone like Lewandowski winning it or or Lionel Messi who finally won a trophy with Argentina fair yeah fair enough look it's a tough call 30 of the top players out there while i would love to say it's going to be a chelsea player it's definitely very very difficult i personally didn't think Jorginho would win it but i think the more you're talking you may convince me one player I'd like to give maybe some credit to, and I don't think he needs me to give him credit, is, is Erling Holland, Rahul. I think the numbers that this player puts out is incredible. Okay, he does not do it on the international stage just yet. He does do it, but that, that team overall has not gone too far in any competition. But last season, he made 41 appearances for Borussia Dortmund and scored 41 goals. This season, 11 goals and eight appearances. So if that's not a winning mentality and a top player right there, that is something to behold. And it's just, it's incredible. So maybe a shout out to him over there, but look, you've convinced me that Jorginho could be really, really far up there. One thing I want to talk to you about as well with the Ballon d'Or is that goalkeepers, we see Donnarumma on here. I think he's probably the only one, if I'm not mistaken, that's been nominated. I believe Keller Navas came out this week and said, you know, people don't give goalkeepers the credit they deserve. You in particular have been very, very outspoken about Mendy and his contributions to what he has done to Chelsea. Not to put Kepa down, but Kepa was not performing to the highest level last season, and Mendy almost turned us around. There are other amazing goalkeepers out there. Ederson, uh, Allison, not necessarily last season, but you know they're top players out there. He's suggesting that there needs to be a separate segment Ballon d'Or for goalkeepers because everybody's looking at goals and assists, but not the saves that they've created. So maybe you can chime in on that for just a second. Well, I think they have a goalkeeping award. I'm, I, I'm just trying to look over here. Yep. Um, it's called the Yashin Yasin Trophy, which is just for goalkeepers. Right. Uh, and Donnarumma, like you said, is on there, and so is Eduardo Mendy. But I guess if you're thinking about the Golden Ball, the Ballon d'Or, I don't know if a goalkeeper has ever won it. And, <laughs> and I think that's because we're all, like Nava said, focused on, on the other side of the pitch, which is the goals, the assists, and, and all the exciting parts. But on the same point, there has been defenders who won it. I think right. uh, Cannavaro has won it before, um, and he may be the only one in recent memory at least. Uh, but it, it's going to take a massive season and a massive uh, performance every game for 50 or 60 games for a goalkeeper to to come out on top so i kind of see the need to maybe have a goalkeeper's ballon d'or um but that just seems 
like we're trying to cater to one position <laughs> because we already have, like I said, the Yasin Trophy and, and the best goalkeeper, Eduardo Mendy, should win it. Yeah, and look, honestly, speaking of goalkeepers, it was interesting to see a, a podcast that Frank Lampard did recently with Joe Cole and I forget who else was included in that. But we talk about the Champions League final for Chelsea in 2012 and a lot of our memories and praise goes to that night when Didier Drogba scores that that header in the 88, 88, 81st, 82nd minute. I forget how long it was. But Frank says we always look forward, we always look at that, but we never give credit. And, and we do, I'm not saying we don't, but not enough credit is given to the big man behind the sticks in Petr Cech for the performance he had and saving that penalty as well from Aryan Robin. And I think that's what Kaylor Navas is, is hinting towards is in big games, we tend to forget the saves. Edu Mendy in the Champions League final this time around, the amount of saves that man made is incredible. And sometimes we forget that because we now remember Kai Havertz moment and that rush of joy it gives us. So maybe there's something interesting to what Navas is saying. And maybe there needs to be a little more, I forget the name of the trophy you're saying, but maybe a little more uh, fanfare around it to make it a little more exciting. Yeah, I, I, okay, goalkeepers do as good a job as anybody else on the team. So um, I, I see what you're saying and I see what Navas is saying. Yeah, it's going to be a fun one for sure. And speaking of Ballon d'Or, there's also a women's segment, right? Yes, sir. And uh, just like the men's team, there's five uh, players from the Chelsea women's team that have been nominated. And it's uh, Ericsson's on there, Jesse Fleming, Bernil Erder, did I get that right? Well done. Well done. I, I practiced all day. Um, <laughs> Sam Kerr and Fran Kirby. So uh, for anyone that may have just started listening or, or just skipped ahead, we're not talking about goals. We're talking about games from this past weekend. We're just talking about our our attacking trio being nominated uh, for the women's Ballon d'Or. And it's it's exciting because we they had a great season. All of them did, even beyond these five players that are on the list. Uh, but these five in particular had a great season with Chelsea as well as on the international stage. Uh, and Peniel Erder became Denmark's, I think we touched on it a few episodes right. ago, Denmark's overall leading goal scorer. And, and Sam Kerr went to the Olympics. Ericsson went to the Olympics. Uh, Fleming won the Olympic uh, tournament with Canada. So all of them have had success all over. And, and Fran Kirby if I would want to see anyone winning it out, it would be her. Uh, but again, that's that's personal bias and, and just the work that she's put in to overcome a setback that she had a few years ago. So uh, congratulations to all of them. And it's it's just exciting times to see not just the men's team succeeding and, and being recognized for it, but even the women's team. Yeah, and I love that you say it every week is that it's nice to have them as a counterbalance when our men's team is not doing so well. You have something positive to look forward to because... These women have been high flying and it's great to see that we have that many women nominated, just like on the men's side, nominated to go for the Ballon d'Or. So we'll be watching, we'll be tuned in and we'll see who wins that one as well. Yes, sir. So do you want to stick with the Chelsea women's and tell us how their performance is so far? Yeah, they they played. So the last time we, we spoke and, and recorded, they had just come off a 3-3 uh, draw against Wolfsburg in the Champions League. They followed that up with a 2-0 win against Leicester City. Uh, made a little bit of hard work out of it, didn't score until the 83rd minute. Uh, but they, when they eventually did score, it was Harder who got the goal. Uh, surprise, surprise. And then Fran Kirby doubled that at, towards the end of the game in the 92nd minute to give us a 2-0 win uh, in the Women's Super League. 
Yeah, and back to winning ways. And nice to keep a clean sheet because I know that in the last game, in the 3-3, uh, Emma Hayes was upset that we had allowed those goals to go in. So I think, obviously, she communicates with the team, makes sure that they're keeping the clean sheets and then building from there. So good to hear the good news again. Yeah, and, and they move up to second in the table, three points behind Arsenal, who are undefeated and have won five in a row. But um, we're, we're kind of building back up after that initial loss to Arsenal. Uh, and it seems to be an exciting season because right under us are Tottenham, same number of points with uh, 12, Manchester United with 10 in fourth, uh, and Brighton and Hove Albion in fifth with nine points. So kind of close enough. And Arsenal seem to be the front runners, but as you know, with Chelsea, we'll always be in the in the run uh, in, in that final stages of the tournament. Yeah, in early days, but shout out to Brighton on both sides because the Brighton teams for both the men and women seem to be punching high up there. So very, very good news as well. Yeah, it definitely is. All right, should we jump into our Premier League preview? Because Premier League is back, my friend. It is, and just like David Luiz and William, we made bust out some moves just out of excitement. I don't know if I'll bust out a move today, but <laughs> thanks for thinking I still can. Um, let's start with Newcastle. Our last episode, we covered that massive takeover that happened. A lot of buzzing going on around you know, the stadium, the fans, management. We've talked about maybe Steve Bruce is going to be around for a little bit. So we'll stick on the theme of management. And uh, it seems to be there's a Chelsea boy linked with Newcastle now. Is that right? That is right. And Frank Lampard is linked. Uh, Steve Bruce, I think, is pretty much at, <laughs> out the door. And I think you had touched on it at the uh, in the last episode where you said you'd be surprised if he, he was in that job for much longer. And uh, I think the new owners, the new era for Newcastle United, uh, they want to start that without Steve Bruce, uh, kind of leave him also behind in terms of the Mike Ashley era. Uh, personally, I don't think Steve Bruce has done much wrong in that he wasn't really given the tools and, and, and the weapons to perform on the pitch. He still kept them in the league. Uh, yes, his football could be a little bit ancient at times, but that could be down to what was available to him. So uh, slightly unfair, but that's kind of the name of the game when when new owners come in. We've seen it personally with Chelsea. Uh, we've seen it with Man City. We've seen it with PSG. And so Lampard is linked with them and, and they are looking to bring someone new in, be the face of, of the new era. And um, it's an exciting time for Lampard if, if he does get it. But personally, with my Chelsea bias, my Chelsea goggles on, I would not want him to go into that position because you know that it's going to be kind of cutthroat if, yeah. they, don't, if they don't make it. And for him to lose a second job after the Chelsea uh, experienced earlier this year, I think it may negatively impact his career. Yeah, I mean, that's a fair analysis. That's going to be a tough one. Whoever takes it is going to have to be very patient with the management. And, and that's a tough word to say because the management don't be patient with them. But we know when new ruthless managers come in, they demand a lot of different things. And so it's more about managing expectations. Can Frank do that? Absolutely. But again, it's going to take time at Newcastle. I think that's what people forget to buy the right players, build out the infrastructure, change the tactics of the club overall, because they have been doing a, a standard of football over the last few seasons. And no disrespect to, to Steve, but it's one of those things where it's the traditional old lump at Ford football, and you kind of work from there. For what they're looking for, it's going to take a little bit of time, and maybe Frank needs to to stay away from this one just from a, from a Chelsea perspective. Yeah, I agree with you. And 
I know Newcastle, Amanda uh, Stavely, Stavely said five to 10 years before we win the Premier League, but you, you got to think that internally they're thinking closer to the four or five or three year mark because they are in a position and I, I, I've seen and, and heard that Mike Ashley has left them in a very profitable position, which means that uh, they, the new owners can come in and spend two, three hundred million and not be worried about FFP. Right. which is a great position to be in. And, and some of the names being linked with them, Mauro Icardi, Coutinho, uh, just some of the two names that I can currently remember. And, and those all automatically just improve the squad, improve the, the profile of the team. And uh, for someone like Lampard, I think he may get a little bit overrun with the right. decisions from the top. And I think that may be detrimental to his career but again you never know and this may be the perfect move for him too yeah we we can only wait and watch and i think the person who shared or broke the frank lampard news was olivia Giroud. so i don't know maybe Giroud is looking for a move back to the premier league and saying newcastle i'm here and you can afford my wages now so give me a ring i scored some great goals in the premier league and i can continue to do so even at his age of i think he's 33 now so good news for Giroud. maybe we'll see him back in the premier league soon yeah maybe we will All right, let's move back to Chelsea, Rahul. And we're playing maybe a team that's punching above their weight, at least from yours and mine's perspective. We picked these guys to get relegated at the beginning (laughs) of the season. And here we are with Brentford punching well above their weight in early seasons. Any thoughts you can share on this this game so far? This game, I mean, it's it's two London teams. Brentford newly promoted. Uh, London's two top teams, at least based on the table right now, Chelsea sitting in first, Brentford sitting in seventh. Uh, they're also the highest placed newly promoted team. Uh, so automatically that tells you that they've been punching above their weight. They've been doing well. They've beaten Arsenal already. They've drawn with Liverpool. Um, and so it's not going to be an easy game for us whatsoever. Uh, Brentford will be totally up for it. We've seen the atmosphere at the, at the stadium. It's always rocking. They're just having a great time being back in the Premier League uh, against Liverpool. You watched a game, I missed it. But even just from the highlights that I watched, they were just up for it, even when they were losing. <laughs> uh, so for some of our players, they mentally will have to be ready. You know, it's one of those things, Rahul, with Brentford where – I think they're fearless because they don't really care if they lose specifically to the bigger teams. And of course, any team wants to win, especially a newly promoted team wants to win and continue to stay in the Premier League. But it's almost like you show up to a Liverpool, a Manchester United, Manchester City, a Chelsea, of course, and go on paper, we're supposed to lose. So just go out there and play as fearless as you want to. And that's exactly what they're doing. And it shows because given that they're newly promoted, they only have one loss so far this season, which is something you can talk about with the big boys above them. So that's going to be interesting. That last game to Liverpool, which ended 3-3, I know they had a win against West Ham, but that 3-3 game was an example of their character. And Chelsea are coming off. We did win the last game, but coming off kind of a bumpy little stretch there with Juventus and Manchester City before. So it's one of those where we want to make sure we're fully focused for this game. And it doesn't help that it's coming off of the back of an international break where most of our players have traveled all over the world. And no disrespect to Brentford, but most of their players have stayed home watching video, preparing for Chelsea, preparing tactics. So uh, I'm not making excuses, just sharing some (laughs) some of my thoughts that I've had. Uh, But some just some fun facts. Uh, Brentford have not won in the last six games against Chelsea. Uh, 
the last win was away uh, at the bridge in February of 1939. Just a few years ago. <laughs> Just a few years ago. Um, and this is the first league meeting between the two teams uh, with Chelsea won the league meeting 2-0 in March of 1947. So uh, it's been a while, like Brentford haven't been in the Premier League. Uh, this is the first time around and I'm sure they'll be looking to get that first win against Chelsea in the league. And um, the last time we played them was in January of 2017 uh, in the FA Cup. And I think yeah. Pedro scored uh, one of the four goals in that game. So um, he's not around, but we do have some of the, <laughs> some of the other guys. So um, it should be an exciting game. I'm, I'm slightly nervous for it also because our friend or, or favorite referee um <laughs> anthony taylor is going to be in charge and the last few times he's taken uh, command of a chelsea game he sent off kovacic he sent off reese james uh, i believe he sent off Jorginho. so we may almost just start training or, or doing things with less <laughs> player because at some point he's going to work his magic Look, I hear what you're saying, and I hope that we don't get a, a red card by any means with this with this referee here. But I also remember that this is a London derby of sorts. It is the first time we're playing in the Premier League, like you said, but a London derby nonetheless. And so things can get feisty. Rahul, I know that Anthony Theodore, you're not a big fan of him, but maybe we as a team need to just keep ourselves a little more composed, not go for the rash challenges, uh, play the football that we know how to play, and just watch how the rest plays out from there. Yeah, and, and to the London Derby point, uh, we've won our last six away London Derbies. And if we win this game against Brentford away from home uh, for Chelsea, there would be a, a Premier League or English Football League record for a team to go seven consecutive uh, London Derbies away from home winning. So a little bit of history at stake. And usually when that's the case, we <laughs> don't end up making it. Uh, but jokes aside, I, I think it should be an exciting game and a fun game and one that we will be up for for sure because I'm sure we've seen what Brentford have done throughout the season and and Tuchel himself has had some time to prepare. So uh, should be it should be fun. We'll take it at face value with fun and we'll see how that plays out. Look, earlier you said Chelsea have had a lot of players go out on international duty. They should be all coming in or on the way back home now. Who starts this game for you? I think Mendy in goal. Uh, he's back. He's fit. So he stays unless something changes between uh, now and the game. I think we agreed of playing Trevor, uh, Chaloba in defense, uh, mainly because of the physicality, maybe a little bit of pace that Brentford have up top. Uh, Thiago Silva most likely, even before he went on the uh, on the international break, Tuchel had said uh, he's not going to make this game. So I think Andreas Christensen is the natural fit. Uh, Rudiger, whatever fit plays. I think Aspilicueta plays that right wing. Kovacic, Jorginho in midfield. Although I'd love to see Ruben Loftus-Cheek again with uh, either Kovacic or Jorginho. Uh, and then I think Ben Chilwell comes back in. But <laughs> we never know. Um, and then I think up top we'll do Mason Mount, Timo Werner, and Lukaku. Good lineup. I think I want to hang on to a statement you said about Ruben Loftus-Cheek. We've talked about players going in his national duty. He was home, so he's rested. He's fit. He's fresh. The last game, he performed really, really well. And so one thing I've noticed, Rahul, again, we've, we've put Georgie's name up there for Ballon d'Or, but 
the last big games with Juventus and Manchester City, they start to crowd Jorginho a little bit, if that's the best word, or maybe pin him back a little bit. And when he doesn't have as much space to operate, we as a team look a little bit poor. I think switching it out for Ruben, Ruben brings something fresh. He brings a little more pace, a little more energy, a little more physicality. And it's just a different game plan. Again, I'm not saying Tuchel needs to change the formation by any means. I think it's working. So Ruben's a really, really good shout. Uh, another one we need to talk about is Ben Chilwell. Every time you and I vote for Ben Chilwell to be in the starting <laughs> 11, good old faithful Marcus Alonso seems to be doing excellent in training. And I'm not being facetious here. I actually believe Marcos is in the form of his life since maybe Antonio Conte was around. So he keeps keeping Chilwell out. So that's going to be another interesting one. And, and Chaloba, maybe talk a couple of minutes for him because he's only played, I think, two or three games in the Premier League of our total seven or eight. And every time he's come in, he looks like he, he slots right in, doesn't he? He seems like a natural fit, and he seems like uh, he was the reason we sold Kurt Zuma, even though we were trying to bring in Conde. Uh, and Chaloba is making the most of an opportunity that has presented itself to him. And uh, forget the goals for a second. I think just his overall defending, his, his calmness in defense, working with the likes of Thiago Silva or Christensen or Rudiger or even Aspilicueta, I think is helping him. And he's focused and he's he's ready to to do whatever it takes to defend his team and defend the clean sheet. And, and that's the kind of attitude you want to see from a young man. Now, you don't want it to be rash, and, and he hasn't been. Uh, and I personally don't think he started a game away from home. Uh, so that may continue, but... If he comes in, I, I would have no issues. Yeah, and he just posted a video on Instagram of his training regiment and his physique. And let me tell you, this young man looks like he's ready for battle. So I'm excited to see if he can do an away game at Brentford. Another man we need to talk about, Rahul Timo Werner. In this last game, did decently well for us. Did get chalked off offside, finally scored one. Goes away to Germany and scores two. I think he's maybe coming into form now. What do you think? I think so too. I mean, he's... And before that, he scored in the Carabao Cup. So in the last few weeks, he's picked up goals. He's picked up some good performances. Uh, Germany game, definitely good to get two goals. I I think the opposition wasn't (laughs) of the the highest caliber, but goals are goals, and I'll give that to him. Uh, But that's going to do a world of good for his confidence in him coming back to the team. So uh, I think he could be a good addition to to that front three instead of, uh, I think, Havertz, who's kind of been out of form, Ziyech, who's been in and out. Um, do you think we see Pulisic back this weekend? I certainly hope so, even if not starting, but maybe a good 10, 15-minute run. I think we've talked about missing somebody who's very direct. Now, Callum hudson Adoy came in last time and did an excellent job, so I feel a little bit disheartened that we couldn't squeeze him into our predicted eleven. But again, that's where I think Pulisic will be very, very direct. So maybe, you know, Werner's played a lot of football. Hopefully he can get a goal in this game, get off, and then give Pulisic a few minutes to get back to speed. And another name to talk about maybe is Lukaku. He looks like he needs a goal as well. He's got a beautiful one for Belgium. So it's not like he's missing his his eye for goal. So I'm excited for this game, Rahul. What's your prediction for the game? Uh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Two, one to Chelsea. Okay, that's a good prediction. I'm going to go with 3-0. I am ready to see the goals go in, my friend. So I'll be biting my nails with my <laughs> prediction, and you'll be sitting back with your hands up. <laughs> Look, we've got to be careful with some of these predictions. Whenever you and I suggest something, it normally goes a different way, but hopefully a different way means 5-6-0. Look, I'm just kidding here. No. 
but yeah, that's kind of what we're looking forward to. Uh, maybe before we end, we can talk about a couple of the fixtures that we have now in between the end of the next international break. Yeah, so another month between, I guess, this upcoming weekend and, and the next international break. And so we have Brentford away. We've just touched on them. The following week, we have North City at home. Uh, then we go away to Newcastle United, and, and we don't know who's going to be manager, who the players are going to be. No, I'm just kidding. Uh, that's a tricky uh, fixture in itself. Uh, and then we have Burnley at home before we go on another break. And in between of in all of those Premier League fixtures, we have uh, Malmo in the Champions League and Southampton in the Carabao Cup. So uh, some winnable games. I'm not trying to be disrespectful to those oppositions, but I personally think maybe apart from the Brentford game, we should be aiming for or getting at least nine points out of, of out of the, the remaining three games. Look, I know you're not trying to be disrespectful and neither I am, neither am I, but looking at this, we should be winning every single one of these games on paper. I think that's the mark of what will make us champions. Now, I'm not saying we need to go out there and pummel teams 5-0 every single game like Manchester City have done in the past with when they've gone on title runs. But I think it's one of those where on paper we should be winning it, whether we go out there with a different squad and get a 1-0 win, have a good day, have a 3-0 win. It doesn't matter. I think on paper, this is what we need to show if we're going to be in and around the top top few when we get towards the end of the season here. And it, it presents us, us with an opportunity to continue to stay top of the table. Now, Brentford in itself is a challenge, and I don't want to get carried away and say, well, we're, we're top of the table. But if we come out of that with a win or even with the point, that just maintains the confidence, maintains the, the, the belief that we can stay on top here. And – I'm looking at some of the other fixtures, I'm not saying like Man City have tough fixtures because not, nothing's really tough for them. Uh, but with us playing some of the lesser top teams, six. less than, yeah, not outside the top six, yeah. I think that's our opportunity to put points on the board and continue to build upon where we are right now. Because as we go into November and the holiday period, injuries, other issues may come up that we may then drop points, but this is a, a period where 12 points, 10 points would be perfect. And I think your analysis is spot on, Rahul, because we've got past some of the tough games. Yes, we took the loss to Manchester City, but uh, Arsenal, Liverpool, some of those games. And, and I know if Alex was here, he'd make a joke about Arsenal and Spurs. But look, at the end of the day, those are the teams that are typically in and around the top six. And we've had decent performances in, in all of those and decent results in all of those. So now... We've got over that hard hurdle. The bodies, the legs, the mind should be in a mode of fully fit or match fit almost. So we should be ready to kind of go on a good a good winning streak here. Now, am I expecting a 17-game run with like Frank Lampard we did? That was something incredible, or 17 unbeaten, I should say. But I think on paper, again, I, I repeat these ones, we should, we should be putting these in the bag. And it allows us to open up a gap because I'm looking at the table right now and we're sitting in first with 16. And there is uh, Tottenham Hotspur in eight with 12. So even though Tottenham have had a bad period, they've dropped points. They're still only four points behind us. And that's literally a, a swing of two games and we could be further down the table. So we need to pull away. We need to create some of a, a little bit of a gap. And, and then we see where we are at, at the end of, of the next um, Premier League period heading into the next uh, international break. 
Yep, very fair sentences there. Should we move on to a couple of other Premier League games going in and around us? Uh, Watford versus Liverpool maybe is one that comes to mind, and Watford with a, a new manager here, right? Yeah, Claudio Ranieri's first game. Uh, but I think back to when Liverpool were flying in that 1920 season, unbeaten for like 24, 25 games, went to Watford and got absolutely destroyed. <laughs> um, and th- that's a highlight for me from that yeah. season. Um, but that's kind of why I wanted to touch on this game, because I think this is the first time since that game they'll be facing each other. Uh, and it's at Watford and it's a new manager. So Liverpool currently unbeaten in the in the league. Uh, this could be, again, their uh, Achilles heel in, in terms of, you know, maintaining an unbeaten record. Yeah, and you stole my punchline there. I was going to ask you, did you know the only team unbeaten <laughs> in the Premier League so far this season is the mighty Liverpool? But you know what, Rahul? They still have to look up to find Chelsea. So for now, for now, I'll just let these jokes roll. Um, no, but that's that's a fair analysis. And you know, with Claudio Ranieri, Ranieri, Ran, oof, having a tongue twister here, but he is one of those managers where you don't know what to expect. We've always called him the Tinkerman as well, which can be good, but it can be bad. And I think that's something that will keep Liverpool guessing as to how they're going to play, how they're going to line up. And from what I from what I've experienced, whenever you get a new manager, there's a little bit of a lift in the team. So. I, for one, would be excited if Watford could pull this over. But honestly, Rahul, it, it's a tough one with the way Mohamed Salah and the team are flying right now. Mohamed Salah, especially. He's, he's on that Ballon d'Or list. I mean, yeah. if he continues the way he is towards the end of the year, he, he may surprise a few and, and end up closer. But, um, yeah, I think it should be a tough game, but I think Liverpool have enough. Um, so we'll see how that goes. All right, let's move on to another one in Leicester versus Manchester United. And typically when I say Leicester, Rahul, they're, you know, they're typically high up there in the Premier League, at least in the last few seasons. Right now they're floating in at around 13th. So they haven't had the best start to the Premier League. Again, early days. But like you said, early days is when you can put some points between you and the and the chasing pack. So thoughts on this one? And, and might I add, I think Manchester United are missing both their first choice center backs in Varane and Harry Maguire. So... I don't know if that's going to tell, but what are your thoughts? I, I absolutely think that is going to tell because even with those two, they were they were giving up goals. So uh, Leicester, who struggled, I think will be using this maybe as an opportunity to kickstart their season. Uh, and in the last few seasons, I think Manchester United have taken points off of them, especially towards the end of the season where they could have qualified for the Champions League. So a little bit of that hurt as well as trying to just get started this season could uh, push them further into winning a game. But Manchester United haven't lost at, away from home in God knows how long. I think 100 they, they, games. I'm just yeah, kidding, yeah. They, they hold a record right now. And even without their um, first choice center backs, like you said, I think whenever they're up against a challenge in terms of injuries, in terms of fixtures, they end up coming out on top and and you can bet against Manchester United and Cristiano Ronaldo who scored a hat-trick for Portugal. Yeah, you know what, Rahul, is usually when I would, you know, look at this and say, yes, no center backs. Yes, Leicester have everything to turn on their season. But the magic word here is Cristiano Ronaldo. Whenever you say that name, that man can make things happen. But look, he can score three. My fantasy league striker, Jamie Vardy, can score three. So <laughs> I'm going to sit back here and just watch this one and hope for a draw maybe. Yeah, and, and, and this starts a tough run of fixtures for Manchester United. Uh, so if they drop points here, 
could rock the boat a little bit and then maybe <laughs> we can we can pull away from them too that's a fair point there look speaking of Leicester and not doing so well on the other side of the table Everton and West Ham both teams that have West Ham continuing from last year doing very well Everton punching well above their weight no disrespect but Rafael Benitez has got them running like a well-oiled machine right now absolutely and and they spent I think 11 million in total on players and they brought in Townsend and, and Damari Gray, who've been yeah. so far maybe uh, some of the best players in the league. And he's getting more out of them than than any of the other previous managers have. So kudos to him. And I think they'll be a, a problem for, for many teams this season. I know they lost against Villa uh, convincingly, but they've bounced back and picked up some points. And they sit, I think you said, in fifth. So... Uh, Benita is doing his business and it's not going to be an easy game, but West Ham on, on the same side have been pretty good since last season and, and David Moyes is doing the business. So I think it might end in a draw. Yeah. Fair shout. I think I'm going to go for an Everton one to pinch this just because they're at home. I think in general, a lot of the teams last season that were up and down or not performing to where we know they can having fans back has made a huge, huge difference. So that will definitely be an exciting one. Uh, another one I want to talk about with you is Newcastle versus Tottenham Hotspur. And I think the only reason we need to talk about this is just because we've talked about new management coming in. Not new management, but new ownership new coming into to Newcastle. So Tottenham were struggling a little bit. They've just come off a win here against Aston Villa. So any thoughts on this one? That atmosphere in that stadium is going <laughs> to be absolutely rocking and if Newcastle come out and, and perform as good as the crowd is going to be, there's only going to be a one winner, and that's going to be Newcastle United. Because Tottenham, yes, they won in their last game, but there's still cracks in that team. There's still issues with Harry Kane not scoring, fully reliant on Son at this point. Um, so if Newcastle can match the energy of their fans, they win this easily. But yeah, I was- Spurs, I was just going to say Harry Kane has a pretty decent record against Newcastle. So, Harry Kane, if you're listening, you're in my fantasy team. I've invested a lot of money in you. Uh, So, goal or two would be good. Yeah, I was going to say, I think Harry Kane needs a goal at this point because they're struggling right now to get him in the the Premier League at least to get a goal. So, uh, maybe he's overdue one. But, Rahul, I mean, at the very least with that atmosphere, Newcastle can push for a draw. And I think that's a good point to build off from. And, and for Spurs, given all the things going on at Newcastle, it wouldn't be too bad a result either. So let's see how that one plays out. Uh, another one we need to talk about was a team that you and I and, and Alex, to a certain degree, made a lot of fun of early on the season, and that was Arsenal. And they're back to a decent run of form so far, a, a draw and three wins in the last few games here. And they are coming against Crystal Palace and their old talisman in Vieira. Yeah, that's... That's going to be a good game, Monday night game at the Emirates. Okay, Crystal Palace have been decent, but I think Arsenal should have enough, especially given the, the last few games that they've had. Uh, I think Arteta and his squad are, are kind of figuring things out, getting the tactics right, and yeah. um, it would be awesome to see Vieira go back and win there, but I think Arsenal will just have too much for him. Maybe, but hopefully Conor, Conor Gallagher shows up that day and can get a couple of goals as well because he's he's looked like a real player and I'm excited to see him back in Chelsea. So, no, some good games coming up this weekend. So I think we're going to be pretty busy watching quite a bit of football, especially after missing it this past weekend. Absolutely. And 
Uh, don't forget to set up your fantasy teams. Jackie and I'll be, we've mentioned some of our players already, uh, but we'll be in the, in the market trying to make some last moves. Um, but that wraps it up, guys. Thank you very much for listening. Please continue to subscribe, like, and follow us. It's at the Premier Chels on Apple, Spotify, Google, and Instagram. And on Twitter, it's at Premier Chels. Uh, please leave, leave us a, a review on Apple Podcasts, and we'll give you a shout-out on the episode as well as on our Instagram. Uh, and as always, send us your feedback. We love interacting with you, whether that's about Eden Hazard or just the episode in general. Uh, and we will be back later this week or early next week, depending on, on um, how things go with the new episode. But until then, stay safe and up the chels.